Hello and welcome to the Greenhouse Church Podcast. My name is Benj Gould and I'm the lead pastor. We are all about creating an environment where anyone can follow the way of Jesus. So we hope that this teaching helps you on your way. Amen. There was a man who was cooking dinner and he was making a pot roast. And his wife walked into the kitchen and said, why are you cutting the ends off the meat? And he goes, well, my mum made the best pot roast. And that's what she did. She always cut the ends off the meat. She's like, okay, that's interesting. And so next time she was at her mother-in-law's house, the wife goes up to the mother-in-law and says, why do you cut the ends off the meat when you make a pot roast? And she says, well, my mum makes the best pot roast. And that's what she did. And so that's what I, that's what I do. And so then next time they were at grandma's house, the wife goes and talks to grandma and she says, why do you cut the ends off the meat when you make a pot roast? She's like, what are you talking about? She goes, well, your daughter does it, your grandson does it, they say it's because you did it. And she goes, oh, when we had a young family, we only had a small pot and so I had to cut the ends off it to get the pot roast into the pot. It's really good to investigate sometimes why we do the things we do to think about why it is that we do what we do as followers of Jesus. Sometimes we, we inherit incredible tradition from, um, from Scripture and from church through the generations. But it's really good to ask the question, why? We've been in a series called Gathering around why, why do we gather as followers of Jesus? Why would we come week in, week out to a space like this to sing some songs, share communion, to pray some prayers, talk to some people, hear like a budget TED talk from me or from someone else. Um, Why would we do this week in, week out? Why would we practice the way of Jesus? Why would we gather in dinner parties? Why would we do this week in and week out? And um, over the next couple of weeks, I want to share with you three images, the table, the altar, and the few. And we're going to look at all of those themes through the Bible, the table, the altar, and the few. And they sort of roughly map onto some of the kind of ecosystems we're trying to create, some community spaces within Greenhouse. Uh, The table, which we're going to talk about today, roughly maps onto our dinner parties. The altar, roughly mapped onto this space and what we're doing here on a Sunday. And the few maps onto our triads, which is our really intentional um, discipleship uh, groups of two or three people. But I want to talk about the table. The table. The table has always been a central symbol of Christianity. I think you could make the argument that if, you know, the, the cross wasn't our kind of universal Christian logo, that a good substitute would be the table or the meal because it is just drenched all through Scripture. In fact, Luke tells us that the Son of Man, Jesus, came eating and drinking. So much of his ministry was done around a table at dinner parties with people. Um, studies show us that uh, people generally are the happiest in life when they're sitting around a table, eating a meal with friends. That's when most people are most happy. Really interesting, isn't it? And on the kind of converse of that, the opposite of that is that um, people who tend to eat meals alone report abnormally high levels of loneliness. There is something powerful about the table. There's research into families who often eat at the table. And studies show that um, kids who eat around the table with families grow up to eat healthier. They um, generally have better mental health. 
Um, they believe it does prevent adult weight struggles, it improves self-esteem, and improves communication skills. Just a simple act of meeting, eating a meal around the table. And the church has always done this. Uh, in fact, you know, one of the core sacraments of the church is, goes by many names, communion, the Lord's Supper, Eucharist, depending on what tradition you come from, this centrality of eating together, eating the story together. Um, communion is about the common union, where, where we have a common union around Jesus. We might have different political ideas. We might go for different teams, although everyone goes for the Matildas, except for Jamie. Um, but even though Jamie doesn't go for the Matildas, we still meet around Jesus, right? Um, the Lord's Supper maps onto Jesus' Last Supper. Uh, Eucharist comes from the Greek word Eucharisto, which means Thanksgiving. It's like this Thanksgiving meal. And so I want to show you and trace through uh, four tables that we see in uh, the story of Scripture, four, four meals. The first one is the Passover, the Passover meal. In Exodus, Exodus chapter 12, tells a story of Jesus delivering Israel out of slavery from Egypt. And every year since that moment, um, Jews have gathered around the Passover meal every year. They still do it to this day. It's like the sort of like a Christmas event. And everyone would come together. They would gather around the, the, the table and they would eat the story. And the elements of the meal tells a story of God delivering them out of slavery through the Red Sea into the wilderness, into the promised land. And so every year they would come together and they would eat different things and different elements would show different, different parts of the story. The lamb would be the center of the meal, which was um, to represent the, la- um, the lamb that was sacrificed and you would paint blood on the, on the doorpost and the angel of the Lord would pass over, you would be safe. Um, that is kind of the center of the thing. You'd have matzah bread, which is like... Um, uh, a, a flatbread, like a crispy flatbread, because uh, the story goes that they didn't have time for the dough to rise and put yeast in it, so it was a flatbread, and so they always eat matzah, uh, this kind of crispy bread. They have bitter herbs, and it's like the taste of slavery. Remember that God deliver us out of slavery. And in the Passover meal, there are four cups of wine through the meal, four cups. And they each have a different name and represent a different thing. The last cup is a cup of celebration, which I think is fitting because after you've had four cups of wine, you are partying, right? So it is this incredible kind of meal and celebration, and people are eating the story. And it's this meal that Jesus maps onto in Luke chapter 22. Uh, it starts in verse 7. Now the festival of unleavened bread, so the flat bread, arrived. When the Passover lamb is sacrificed, so it's Passover time, Jesus sent Peter and John ahead and said, go and prepare the Passover meal so we can eat it together. Where do you want us to prepare it, they asked. He replied, as soon as you enter Jerusalem, a man carrying a pitcher of water will meet you. Follow him. At the house he enters, say to the owner, the teacher asks, where is the guest room where I can eat the Passover meal with my disciples? He will take you upstairs to a large room that is already set up. This is where you shall prepare our meal. They went off to the city and found everything just as Jesus had said, and they prepared the Passover meal there. So they're preparing the elements, the lamb, the matzah, the bitter herbs, the four cups of wine. When the time came, Jesus and the apostles sat down together at the table. Jesus said, I have been very eager to eat this Passover meal with you, before my suffering begins. This is just before he goes to the cross. 
For I tell you now that I won't eat this meal again, he's talking about the Passover, until its meaning is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. What he's saying is that there is a new exodus coming, a greater exodus. The exodus is this incredible story of God delivering his people out of slavery. But Jesus is saying there is a new exodus coming. I will eat this again in the coming kingdom of God where Jesus will be king, things will be put right. And it will be like the new exodus that we are delivered out of death and slavery. Then he took a cup of wine, so one of the four cups. Remember, this is in a meal. This is not just like little tiny elements. In a meal, he gave thanks to God for it. Then he said, take this and share it among yourselves. For I will not drink wine again until the kingdom of God has come. He took some bread, matzah, and gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it in pieces and gave it to the disciples saying, this is my body which is given for you. Do this to remember me. When you, when you eat this bread, do it to remember me. After supper, he took another cup of wine. So this is probably the fourth cup, likely, after supper. He said, this, is the cup, this cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood, which is poured out as a sacrifice for you. So this is Jesus and his disciples eating the story of the Exodus, And Jesus maps on this new meaning, saying every time you eat this bread and wine together in a meal, do it to remember me. It is showing the new exodus. My body broken, my blood poured out. I am the new lamb, the new center point of this meal, the new center point of this table. Um, Beautiful, beautiful stuff. And he says, do this to remember me, not just once a year. But regularly, whenever you eat with other followers of Jesus, do it to remember me. This is exactly what the early church did. In fact, the earliest church gatherings were on Sundays, um, which they called the Lord's Day. Normally, sort of church for Jewish people or synagogue was on Saturday. That's a Sabbath. It's got switched for them as well as a Saturday, but onto Sunday, mapped onto Sunday because that's the day that Jesus rose from the dead. And their gatherings would be around a meal, likely in a, in a house, and they would eat the Lord's Supper together as part of a meal. And this was kind of the central gathering of them. They called it the love feast, which sounds like this kind of um, whacked up 1960s kind of thing. You know, it sounds a little bit dodgy. Um, But it was just gathering all these different people, slaves, masters, women, children, men, Jew, Gentile, around a table, around the new center of gravity, the Passover lamb, who is Jesus. And this is, this, is, this is what the early church did. We see in Acts chapter 2, if you got it up there. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. And so they were sharing in meals, which included the Lord's Supper. They mapped that sort of meaning onto the meals they were sharing. This became sort of the rhythm of the early church. Um, 1 Corinthians 11 uh, Paul is writing to a church plant in Corinth who, and and 1 Corinthians 11 is all about the gathering. And this is um, Paul bringing some correction to some stuff that had gone wacky. He says, when you meet together, you are not really interested in a Lord's Supper. For some of you hurry to eat your own meal without sharing with others. As a result, some go hungry while others get drunk. So he's saying the, the kind of the central little gathering, it's gone a little bit out of shape here. And the reason it was getting out of shape because you had rich people, masters, and you had slaves. There's no weekend 
in this situation. It's a Sunday night or a Sunday at some point. They're getting together for a meal. The, the masters, they can go whenever they want, but slaves, they don't get to choose when they get off work, so they're coming later. And what was happening was all the rich people were getting together, and they were enjoying the food, getting drunk, hanging out with other people. Um, but then the rest of the church would come, and there'd be no food for them. And he's saying, what you're doing, it's not really the Lord's Supper. You're just like eating. You're just having a party. It should be centered around the meal of Jesus and with, where everyone is invited. And we know this was just a central part of the early church. They would gather and they will eat around meals. And something very interesting happened over church history where the meal slowly turned into the mass because the church began to grow larger. We had to get buildings. There are more and more people. And so logistically, you can imagine, it's just hard to gather around a meal. We have 100 or 150 people across two gatherings here on Sundays. And so it's just hard to gather around a meal. And so they would gather around the mass, and the Catholic mass is still like this today, where you would gather around elements of the meal, the bread and the wine. So it's turned from a meal to little elements, which is fine. It's the part of the practicality, but it's an interesting shift. And then eventually, um, church gatherings move from being gathering around the mass, the Lord's Supper, to gathering around a message like what you're doing right now, someone talking. Uh, that was sort of through the Protestant Reformation. And there's nothing necessarily wrong with that. We love opening the Scriptures. I think it's really important. We see Paul do that. Acts chapter 20, it says they're meeting um, with a house church for the Lord's Supper on a Sunday. And they have the Lord's Supper. They have the meal. And then Paul preaches so long that there's a guy sitting in a windowsill. And the poor dude falls asleep. And he falls out of the second-story window. And he dies. And then Paul raises him from the dead. Um, and I just think that's awesome. But we see, like, right in the beginning of church history, there is, like, these two things happening. They're devoted to the, the apostles' teaching and the Lord's Supper. And so part of our way of trying to reclaim kind of the Eucharist meal, reclaim this kind of mapping onto the Passover and the Last Supper, is to meet around dinner parties through the week in people's homes, smaller groups around a full meal in which we include taking elements of the meal and taking them as representation of Jesus' body and blood broken and poured out for us. And this is kind of our way to sort of recenter ourselves on this early church practice um, to rescue the Passover and the Lord's Supper. Talks are great. Opening the scripture is great, but I think tables change the world. There is something powerful about getting around a table or a living room with people. Sometimes we don't have tables large enough. Um, but getting around and eating a meal with people, that is, there is a great leveler of people. Ch tables change the world. These very ordinary things have extreme power. And if you go to a dinner party, you'll know that it's not, like, it's not magical. It's not like candles every time. It's not like this like Instagram-worthy moment. It's just very ordinary, sharing a meal with a bunch of people that normally you wouldn't share a meal with, but centered around the Lord's Supper, centered around the Passover lamb. And there is something powerful and profound about that. As ordinary and as mundane it is, it's often those things that shape us the most. Um, the Hebrew word, ancient Hebrew word for table, shulshan, I can't really say it, shulshan, is the same word for reconciliation. Same word. Table, reconciliation, same word. And I love that because the table is a place for reconciliation. In the Lord's Supper, in communion, in the Eucharist, it is an invitation back to the table of the Lord where we are reconciled back to God through the story of Jesus. When we eat 
um, a meal with other people, it is a, a place of reconciliation. You eat with people that because you know them, right? And you're getting to know them. There's something powerful, or your family, or your inner dinner party, your followers of Jesus together. There's something powerful about eating together. And that is what the table does. It connects us back to Jesus and the Father, and it connects us to one another. There is power in just the ordinary act of eating a meal together. And so we have the Passover, the first meal, the Last Supper, second meal, the love feast, practice of the early church. And there's one more meal we'll see in Scripture, which is the great banquet. Luke chapter 14, verse 15. It says, hearing, a man, hearing this, a man sitting at the table with Jesus exclaimed, what a blessing it will be to attend a banquet in the kingdom of God. And so what he's talking about is when um, the coming kingdom, the kingdom of heaven on earth comes, when Jesus is put in his rightful place, when everything is made right, when there's this new government of love and joy and peace, how good will a dinner party be then? And Jesus tells this story. He says, um, a man prepared a great feast. He sent out many invitations. When the banquet was ready, he sent his servants to tell the guests, come, the banquet is ready. But they all began making excuses. One said, I have just bought a field and must inspect it. Please excuse me. Then another said, I've just bought five pairs of oxen. I want to try my oxen out. Please excuse me. Another said, I now have a wife, so I can't come, which is a poor excuse. The servant returned and told his master what they had said. His master was furious and said, go quickly into the streets and alleys of the town Invite the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. After the servant had done this, he reported, there is still more room. So his master said, go into the country lanes and behind the hedges and urge anyone you find to come so that the house will be full. For none of those I first invited will, will get even the smallest taste of my banquet. And Jesus says, yeah, you're right. Like the the coming kingdom will be like a banquet, like a great wedding feast. This is a, a motif through all of Scripture, that the, the coming of heaven and earth together is a marriage, a marriage of two parts that were always meant to be together, heaven and earth. And it will be a great banquet, and it will be fun and ascetic and beautiful and loud and crazy and full of just life and every tribe and every tongue and, and cultures and just like this beauty and life. Isaiah talks about in the coming age, like the lion lying down with the lamb and the swords turned into plowshares. There's this beautiful unity, this vision of like this great wedding of heaven and earth. And Jesus says, yeah, it will be like that. And everyone is invited. Not everyone will come, but everyone is invited. This is not just for the elite, not just for the people that are invited first, but for the lost, the last, the least, the lame, the crippled, the people out in the country lanes, the country pumpkins are even allowed in, right? Um, and this is an important motif in the story of Scripture, that we map onto the Exodus, the Passover, the Lord's Supper, the love feast, and the great banquet. And so when we eat meals together, including the Lord's Supper, when we gather in a dinner party, we are mapping onto the Exodus story that we are delivered from slavery to death and sin. We map onto the Last Supper. We map onto the life and death and resurrection of Jesus. We map onto the historical church that met in Love Feast and that the church has been um, celebrating Mass and Communion and Eucharist for generation and generation. And we are embodying a future reality of a great banquet yet to come.
That is what we do. And so when you go to a dinner party, I want you to realize the weight of what you're doing. It's very ordinary, especially if you've been doing it for a little while. But there is a deep gravity to what we're doing as we center ourselves around Jesus and his sacrifice and his resurrection for us. And it's the simplest and most mundane things that change us and shape us. We're going to receive communion now. After all that, talking about meals, we're going to take little elements because that's the practicality of what we have to do in this sort of space. Realizing that the center of gravity for us, for the Eucharist and communion, is around tables. Um, But again, taking elements is still awesome, you know, and and we do what we can. But I want you to um, come. You're going to come and receive uh, from us up the front. And I want you to hold your cracker. um, And we're going to eat this together as a sign of solidarity and unity. Um, So don't you know, when you dip in the, in the juice, don't dip too vigor, vigorously so you don't want your thing to fall apart. Um, but we gather around the table of the Lord, and that is a beautiful thing. So let me pray, and uh, we can stand. Jesus, I thank you for your table. I thank you that we stand on generations of tradition and history and story after story. And that as we gather around communion or the Eucharist or the last the Lord's Supper, we are reminded that we are joining in to a table that we've invited, been invited to that we have in many ways no place being at. But you have made a way. I thank you for your self-giving, sacrificial love that you came and you, you were broken, opening up a way for us, for our healing, that your blood was poured out as a sign of new covenant and new connection, that we are welcomed into your bloodline, into your family. Thank you that we are part of the last, the lost, the least that have been welcomed into that great banquet. And we're so grateful for that. And so we are just reminded again that we map onto the Exodus, that you are our deliverer, that you take us out of sin and darkness and death and slavery. You lead us on uh, to your ways. It's your life, your death and resurrection that has shaped us. We gather on to the love feast and the way that the church has been gathering for thousands of years. We join with saints all over the world. We thank you that you have welcomed us in, that we have a place at your table, even though we don't deserve it. May you, Jesus, be the Passover lamb, the center of gravity for our table and our community. In your name.